electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, stocks rallying after posting their worst week since March 2020. Stocks are looking cheap, but are they a buy yet or lower lows ahead? We'll debate that and much more with our investment committee today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, and John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's get a check on the markets right now. A nice rally across the board on the street. Dow is higher by 1.7 percent. S&P 500 led by energy as well as discretionary, higher by two and a quarter percent. NASDAQ showing the most strength here today so far in the session, up two and three quarters percent. Semi is within the Nasdaq, really strong, up three percent today. Um, and take a look at that 10-year yield, 3.302 percent. So we did edge higher on the yield front from Friday. Let's uh, start this off here. Stephanie, it's a very different picture from what we were looking at last week. Do you buy this? Uh, well, I think we are oversold, yes, but I think we're going to continue to chop, Melissa, because we really aren't out of the woods with regards to the Fed, with regards to inflation, with regards to growth uncertainties. You know I'm not in the camp of recession for 2022, but after last week in the Fed commentary, which quite frankly was confusing at best, but after their commentary, I think the odds of a recession for 2023 have gone higher. And I think that's what the market is telling you. The market's a forward-looking indicator. So um, the key to me is going to be whether or not the Fed can really stay this aggressive or not. And there were very interesting comments from Bullard over the weekend, a little bit softer stance there. So let's kind of kind of keep an eye out for for uh, for, for commentary from him, especially because he's been a leading indicator. So it'll be interesting to see if the markets can hold because we have not been able to hold a rally all year long for a sustainable period of time. Um, and I think there's no need to chase. I think there is a need to find quality and upgrade in your portfolio, which is exactly what I have been doing doing over the last several weeks. Um, and then you look at um, what companies are doing in terms of shareholder value creation. I mean, look at Diamondback Energy, another dividend increase. Look at Kellogg. Look at Mondelez. Yes. I mean, looking for growth. Uh, and I think that that's very positive. And there's a, lot, a whole host of other companies that have done the same things in terms of announcing splits like J&J &J and GE, XPO. So I think you want to look at those kinds of companies that are trying to figure out how to create shareholder value in this macro uncertainty. Um, Dr. J, I'm curious what, what you make of this rally. There are people at home who are hoping and praying that we have seen the worst of it. Um, but the point is, is made repeatedly uh, that we have not seen that sort of whoosh to the downside. We haven't seen that sort of capitulative um, puke out of stocks, which would mean a higher volume, a spike in the VIX, uh, you know, all those good things. Yeah, those aren't good things, Melissa. Those are bad things. But you're right. People are waiting for those bad things. Capitulative. That's the first time I've heard that one, but I like it. Um, I, I think, Melissa, uh, our, our technical analyst, A.J. Monty, thinks we're still going to see lower lows. Um, and he puts up a video on YouTube every week to that effect over at Market Rebellion. He says that uh, he said this is last week. 
we're going to see a rally sometime next week, and it's going to be sold. So far today, Melissa, um, you know Pete and I talk about volume, volatility, and velocity. Um, we are not seeing that volume. Um, we need to see the volume on an up day for a change. I mean, today, so far, at mid-session, right now, we're seeing about 20 million share uh, option turnover. Um, the average for the year is 41 million for the full day. We're at the halfway point. I don't know if we'll make even the average. And so last week when we had that big rally on Wednesday, Melissa, with the Fed move, um, and we said that's going to be ripped up the next day, it was, and that was in the 30s. It was 36 million contracts that day. I think we have to see on a rally day something in the 45 to 50 million range to say, okay, now you've got the shorts out, but right now you don't. You've got people who have got cash on the sidelines, just as Steph said, you don't have to chase here. You can be patient. I'm being patient. I piled out of a bunch of puts because of that big whoosh last week, Melissa. But then I started loading calls into the rally today because I don't think we get more than a day. I'd be happy to see us. I'd be happy to be wrong, but I'd be happy to see us um, keep going. I just don't think the momentum's there based on the volume. I don't know if Wall Street notes, Josh Brown, are like a la carte menus where you can pick and choose. But if you take a look at a couple of these notes today and you piece them together, Goldman Sachs is increasing their, their odds of seeing a recession. Cumulatively, over two years, they're seeing 48 uh, percent. And then you have Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson saying mm -hmm. that the markets have not fully priced in a full-blown recession. And if that were the case, we could get down to about 3,000, 2,900 specifically, Josh. Um, and so right now, from where we are, that's quite a bit of downside. What do you think? I think uh, we, we need to not pay a ton of attention to uh, Wall Street strategists' consensus expectations because um, they're usually wrong. This year, they've been spectacularly wrong. Uh, they were looking for 2% at the high end for Fed funds this year, LOL. Uh, they were talking about Goldman Sachs, Bitcoin 100,000 as recently as December, January. Um, we were hearing about S&P 500 targets ranging from 4,800 to 5,300. And then it's not their fault that they're, it's impossible. Nobody, nobody had on their bingo card uh, an invasion of the Ukraine and the most expansive land war in Europe uh, in, in 70 years. Like, it's just not the kind of thing that you can foresee or the repeated lockdowns of, uh, in China. And those two factors have exacerbated both headline volatility and inflation to the point where the Fed has had to go so far and beyond what anyone expected that we wind up in the situation that we're in right now. So this idea that all of a sudden uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna get the year-end stuff right, uh, think about all of the things that can happen, both good and bad, between now and the end of the year. So let's not focus on that. Let's focus on exactly how oversold we were as a prelude to figuring out whether this rally has some legs. The S&P closed Friday 16.9% uh, below its 200-day moving average. Not the worst we've seen. COVID obviously was worse, but that is pretty extended below that, that long-term trend. The percentage of stocks above their own 200-day moving average is 11.3% as of the end of last week. That is about as washed out as you get. That is deeply oversold. The VIX got up to 31.1. I've been talking about this all year. When the VIX crosses above 30, for God's sake, get bullish on something. 
right? At least short term. Put call, uh, 0.8. That's a high reading, higher than average, but not a historical extreme. Not when you look at March 2020, 2018, 2010, 08, 09. We've seen worse. Uh, and last, consumer sentiment, 59.4. That is below uh, the, the average back to 1990, which is 65 and a half. Um, but we have seen it way more extreme, notably 08 and 2011. Mm -hmm. So that could get worse. But when you take all of those things and then you think about some non-economic or market data points, like the fact that searches for recession on Google are 33% higher than where they were at the peak of the COVID crash, double what they were during Lehman Brothers in 08. Like that is very, very, very scared money out there. And you just say to yourself, okay, this could be a pretty meaningful bottom. Doesn't have to be the final bottom. But I actually think this has some legs. You just surveyed three very smart people whose opinions I appreciate. Not one of them is telling you, yeah, this is it. And I think that's the way a lot of people feel right now. So maybe this doesn't have to be a one-day wonder. Maybe this stretches out into tomorrow, into mm -hmm. the next day. I don't think you need to make a huge bet that it will. I just think you have to be open to the possibility that maybe we rally for a couple of weeks. I still think we're in a bear market. I've been saying it since February. Um, but bear market rallies don't have to be a one or two day affair. So let's, let's be open minded. I actually bought some stuff over the last couple of weeks. So yeah. let's, let's just consider the possibility. Joe, uh, have, you, have you been in? I mean, if you take a look at some of the sectors that have really pulled back today, some people might say, you know what, you, you wanted Apple to be at 135. And granted, it's seen 135 and south of 135 back and forth for the past couple of weeks. But if you wanted it at 135 or so, roughly where it is now, then here, here you are. It's a gift. You know, we're seeing some pretty big moves in yeah. today's well, session with, with Alphabet, with Amazon, with some of these big cap tech stocks that at one time were the stalwarts of, of portfolios. Well, I'm still of the belief that, you know, six to nine months from now, we're going to look back and view this as an opportunity. So to answer your question, am I in? Of course, yes, I'm in. I think in the moment right now where we are, um, remember how deeply oversold we are when you look at price relative to the critical moving averages. You're 9% below the 50, you're 13% below the 100, and you're 17% below the 200. Where the market is going to go here over the next several weeks, and I've been talking about this for months, really depends on President Biden's administration and what they are going to do in terms of making a decision on tariffs. Last week, the Federal Reserve in their press conference basically turned in a very subliminal message to fiscal policy and said, look, we could raise rates, but it's not going to bring down headline inflation. They're basically calling out to the administration saying we needed some coordinated effort. We need some policies on your part to help. And I think where we're going to be going over the next several weeks hinges on the answer, the response to the review of necessity on President Trump's tariffs that were introduced in the summer of 2018. They will expire on July 6th. President Biden has to deliver an answer on that. And the perception of doing something I think will go a long way to improving sentiment. I'm not saying that if we're going to relax or suspend the tariffs or if we're going to offer exemptions to companies that are importing Chinese goods and it's going to have immediate impact on inflation. It's probably not. But it's the perception of taking sentiment, which is so overwhelmingly pessimistic, 
and reinstituting a degree of confidence and belief that there's some form of assistance out there that's targeting what the actual problem is, which is inflation, and there's an effort in that direction to ease it. I think that's what's going to drive the market here over the next several weeks. And I think if he does it, markets will continue to rally. I mean, I think sentiment is, is perhaps a silver lining to all of this. The fact that it's gotten so incredibly bearish now, Stephanie, the fact that recession is not, or, or it's even stagflation, they're not, they're not concepts or words that are just scoffed at as they once were before. But now, actually, people are saying there is a chance here, and the chances are increasing. At the same time, you know, Josh was a font of very good historic me- metrics in terms of reasons why one could, in fact, be bullish here. And I'm wondering how you perceive that. How do you perceive, for instance, a historic P.E. in the context of today's market when it seems like everything about the circumstance we we are in right now was created by pendulum swinging so far to one side, um, such as easy money policy? How do you how do you say, you know what, we should go back to average? We should go back to the historic average on the S&P of 16 and a half. Well, well, we're at 15 and a half right now. We started the year at 21.5 times. So mm-hmm. we have seen multiples contract. And it's because of all the things I talked about, the unknowns, right, with Fed inflation, growth, et cetera. Yeah, definitely recession is more on the table for 2023. I still believe not for 2022. The jobs market is still very, very strong, minus technology. That technology sector, you've got to watch it. And that's where we've been seeing the freezes. But they've been the beneficiary over the last three years from stay at home. So they're seeing a mean reversion to some degree. But the job uh, overall, the job market is, is very strong. And so that's what I think at least carries the momentum between now and the end of the year. Could we go to 14 times, 13 times? Could we see earnings having to be ratcheted down? That's what a lot of the strategists on the street are saying. They haven't yet lowered numbers. But they will probably after the second quarter. So we're about to get earnings. And I think the markets are going to be are chopping around and going to continue to chop around until we get earnings and we hear what companies have to say. I mean, we really did lose confidence from the retailers, right? We, we lost after Walmart and after Target. Um, TJX was the only one that actually had some good things to say, but they're doing company initiative things. But across the board, it was very disappointing. Does that continue into the next quarter? And how much do numbers have to come down? That's when you're going to get the true P.E. of the market and Mm -hmm. we'll have to see where it settles out. But in the meantime, if you're a long-term investor, you find these really good uh, free cash flow companies with number one or number two uh, market share positions, excellent executive management teams and a bench and a track record and margin, potential margin expansion, or at least stability in margins, because that is the biggest question mark at this point in time. Let's bring in senior markets commentator Mike Santoli, who has been searching for what is cheap in this market and what What does cheap mean in this market, Mike? Yeah, both tough questions, uh, Melissa. Now, you know, to build on what Steph was saying, from a top-down aggregate basis, looking at the S&P 500, uh, you're kind of in the zone of potential fair value. The amount of valuation compression that we've seen is pretty dramatic and pretty much matches what you tend to see in these kind of bear market phases. However, we've landed at a spot that's still not observably cheap, right, based on historical standards, 15-ish, 16. But that still has a lot to do with the concentration of market value in the relatively expensive large index stocks, right? The Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft uh, stocks are really picking that up. Uh, So if you look at the equal weighted S&P 500, it's more like 13 times forward. Compare that to some lows we've seen in recent years, like 2020, like 2018. Not that different, uh, really. And then also the small cap 600, which, I mean, it's basically the Russell 
2000 screen for profitability. It's under 11 times earnings. It's pretty much as low as it gets now. The, the immediate question is, but what are the earnings forecasts going to do? Uh, and it's absolutely the right question. It's still a challenge. But I would point out, every time we've hit a low in the market or a low in valuation in the past, the earnings uh, outlook was incredibly cloudy at those times, too. And the valuations coming down are the market's way of saying, we don't know that these numbers are really good. Uh, so I don't think that's as much of a clinching bearish argument as uh, sometimes it's portrayed, even though it is a challenge. I would look at also individual pockets of the market. Every one of them looks like possibly a value trap. You talk about retail, look at Best Buy, look at the, you know, the automakers. They all look super cheap. Uh, that's not to say that they're not going down more, but it's sort of something for you to do if you're a bargain-minded investor at this point. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the earnings um, and the revisions because it, I think what's what feels different, and, and it probably isn't different, Mike, I probably just don't have the reference points um, to say it's the same, but, but soon after earnings season, we saw a couple of, no, of companies in tech, I'm thinking of Snap and Microsoft, come out just weeks after and revise lower. Yeah. And I think that really spooked the market. The, 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 the deterioration in such a short amount of time is what sort of felt different. And then you had the parade of retail also talking about the deterioration, sort of confirming that. Yes, that's true. I would say with, when it came to Microsoft, and I mean, Snap, obviously, there's something maybe structural happening there. Mm -hmm. Microsoft, they tell you it's, it's FX. FX. Um, and I think what's interesting is it's really different in one way this time, which is that because inflation is where it is, nominal growth is much higher than when we've previously been in, in the past 12 years at stall speed for the real economy. And companies sell in nominal dollars. And th that's why I think the numbers haven't moved as much. Plus, it's been very fast. I mean, the valuation adjustment has definitely front-run what might happen to earnings. But I do think there's a chance, if you look at U.S. Steel last week, if you look at some of these other companies that should have registered more of a slowdown, it hasn't necessarily shown up yet. So I think there'll be a lot to say about this in the next, let's say, six or eight weeks. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Santoli, yeah. um, you know, talking about uh, some, some quote-unquote cheap areas or, or areas that have looked like they've absorbed a lot of this. Josh, you're a buyer of Zoom. This is one of these, you know, shelled-out companies out there. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is on a, this is on a very tight leash, um, but I, I bought some on Friday. Uh, our mutual friend, Melissa, uh, Eric Jackson, did my podcast, and he was talking mm -hmm. about something that not a lot of people are, which is that when you look at the tech, uh, the tech boom and bust of 2000, for example, um, and, and to lesser extents other uh, moments like these in the past where you had companies w that were quote unquote burning cash, meaning making big investments, spending a lot of money, uh, not producing a lot of earnings, and really being looked at by investors suddenly like, oh, I can't invest in that, it's a, it's a money pit. And then all of a sudden, they start to show you that those investments they had been making are starting to pay off. So he's looking for opportunities like that. Eric's a, a longtime tech investor. This is his third or fourth cycle, um, like it is mine. And one of the names that had been on my radar that I think may end up fitting into that category is Zoom. And it, yes, it's still not classically cheap, but this company lost like 70, 80% of its market cap. So now you look at their last quarterly earnings report. This is one of the few stocks that actually went up after earnings. And I think it spent so long trying to find a bottom. Keep in mind, this is one of those names that topped in February 21. It spent a year and a half looking for a bottom. Maybe it hasn't found the bottom, 
But I think the bottom in early May so far seems to be a tradable low. So look, it's, I may be out of it tomorrow given the volatility in these markets. I'm trailing it with a stop just below 100. I don't think I'm taking a lot of risk compared to what the upside could be if a rally like this is sustainable. And it's weird, a lot of these uh, ARC type names, while the markets got much worse last week, didn't make fresh lows. A lot of them made their lows in May. The Chinese internet stocks, for, for God's sake, they didn't make new lows versus the March lows. So there are areas of the market that have been so completely bombed out and are so out of the question, like nobody would even consider that they're mm -hmm. not gonna get worse. And maybe those have an interesting tradable uh, bottom here. So I I'm, not, I'm not sleeping well at night, but I'm long. It's the optimistic view of the bombed out stocks make, not making new lows. You just came up, by the way, with the newest segment, I think, for the halftime report. And I'm just a temp here. But um, short leash trade seems to be a good one. Uh, John, what do you make of Josh's short leash trade? <laughs> um, I, I do the same sort of thing, Melissa, yeah. not with Zoom right now, but I do the same sort of thing with call spreads because then you define your risk on entry. The risk here is, of course, that on any given day, um, a significant investment bank says, oh, I'm taking them to uh, a sell from neutral or something like that, and the stock gaps down 20 bucks. If you've got an option spread on, Melissa, as you and I know, you've got a very limited, so if you want a short leash trade, an option spread is a great short leash trade because you've defined your risk to the downside, and yet you know what your potential reward is to the upside, Whereas when you just buy a stock, like Josh said, um, you don't sleep so well. I sleep like a baby. And I don't mean I cry all night and wet the bed. I, I sleep like a baby because of these <laughs> spreads, because I don't have to worry about what's going on You can always count on John to take it there. <laughs> well, oh he he cries all night there and wets the bed go. for other reasons. Um, Joe jo Terranova is dying to get I in. Joe, Joe, please. please. Yeah, I, I am because, you know, <laughs> uh, first of all, I like the trade. Second of all, I'll remind Josh that I had a conversation with him about the valuation of Zoom, I'm sure most people watching the show will say, ah, Zoom, that's probably a triple-digit valuation. Wrong. It's a profitable company. They buy back their shares. They have a capital allocation strategy. And they have a PE that has now declined to slightly below 30. So from a valuation perspective, this is not one of those obscenely valued uh, companies that you know we, we're, we're right, thinking is experiencing right. this precipitous decline. Th this this company actually is beginning to fit the metrics of a company that's being more qualitative in its nature. The challenge for the company is from the perspective of how it was viewed by the market. It was viewed as a pandemic beneficiary. In the coming quarters, if it can message to investors that it's moving away from that, it's got a more diversified type of strategy, then I think this is a company over the coming years that you want to have in your portfolio. You in this one, Joe? I am not, but this is a company that certainly, uh, let's just say in future rebalances uh, for mm -hmm. Joe T, this is a company that might fit the criteria. All right. Um, Steph is making moves, too. We'll get to that after the break. Plus, the hottest trade of the year falling into bear market territory is the run done for this sector. We'll debate that when halftime returns in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to The Half. Energy, the best performing sector today, but coming off its worst week since March 2020, falling into bear market levels. How much more room is there uh, for a run in this trade? Joe, I'll go to you first. Well, we should all be appreciative of what we witnessed in the energy market here over the last week. The price of oil one week ago was 123. It's fallen to 110. And even more importantly, and we've talked about this at length on the show, the price of natural gas price of natural gas in the last five days is down 21%. It's now below $7. So this is welcomed relief. I think there's a degree of correlation in a lot of the correction that you've seen in the XLE and and other energy names. Uh, By no means do I think you take your allocation towards energy and put it back towards an underweight, because I do think there's a structural bullish fundamental formation in the energy complex But I think we have to be encouraged by prices kind of backing off from the highs. And what I would urge all the viewers to do is maintain exposure to energy. Um, If if you're kind of trying to replicate the S&P 500, well, somewhere around 6 or 7% is probably going to be the right allocation for you as we move towards the winter season, in which that's when the real stress will come again for uh, both oil and natural gas. Stuff Joe had mentioned the decline in, in energy, the underlying uh, commodity oil. Um, and when you compare that to the move that we saw in the equities last week, I mean, the move in the equities is extraordinary. To, to look at a down 17 percent week um, on S&P Energy, um, that was staggering. It, 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 it was tra- staggering for sure. But these stocks are still up quite a bit year to date. The reason oil is where it is, or at least it was, it was at 80 pre-war. So the reason that oil was at 80 pre-war was because the industry has shifted. Strategically, they are returning capital and cash back to shareholders in forms of dividends and buybacks and capex as well. Um, and they're not drilling and they're not producing. They want to they want to return the cash to the shareholders. They want to be more ESG friendly, and that has tipped the balance between supply and demand. And so I think it's a buying opportunity. I am 10 percent weighted overall in my ben, in my portfolio in energy. That's 500 basis 
basis points more than the benchmark. But I'm doing it through quality, Melissa. Chevron is best in class, good dividend yield, great assets, and the refining margins are actually going to surprise to the upside most likely. And it doesn't trade very expensive, about 11 times earnings. It's down 20% in a week, which is crazy to me. That's one. Diamondback Energy announced another dividend increase, as I mentioned earlier. This is their third. They have a $2 billion buyback, and they're now going to increase 75% of their free cash flow is going back to shareholders versus 50. That's very positive. And Schlumberger just raised their dividend 40% in their quarter. They beat. They raised. Margins are going higher because it's a hidden technology play. They make their customers more productive, more efficient, and they have pricing power. So I'm picking spots within energy. I still like all three very much. I'm going to ride the volatility train because I do believe the underlying story strategically has changed for the industry. ExxonMobil, speaking of which, Credit Suisse upgrading this one. Uh, Josh, where do you find your, your spots in energy, if there are? So just one, one thing I would say is, like, broadly speaking, one of the hallmarks of a true bear market is that there is nowhere to hide. And you can have a sector like oil, which is obviously the big leader this year, and then last year, has a, a last week, has, like, the worst five-day period in multiple years. And a lot of the gains of the people who have said, I'm hiding out in oil, disappear almost overnight. So we've been through that. But then the, the harder part is to say, okay, I understand everybody gets hit eventually in a market like this, but what are the viable dips? And can I pull the lens back far enough to, still, to see that something is still in an overall uptrend, even if it's just had a horrific three-day, five-day stretch? And I think that's going to be the case with oil. So uh, I'm in the IEO. This is a trade I put on earlier in the year, uh, basically on, on technicals. But when you look at the components of this index ETF, and these are 55 stocks, they're all uh, explorers, producers uh, in the energy space. So it's not the Chevrons, um, but it's really the shale uh, companies, et cetera. You look at the valuation here, these are companies with among the best earnings growth in the S&P, selling at a weighted average P.E. ratio of uh, under 15, which is a below market multiple. I understand why, why that's the case. It's commodity related. You've got a pretty high dividend distribution um, for the portfolio as well. And you just say to yourself, like, if I'm not in this, where else is there going to be earnings growth? It's really hard to find. It's really hard to find. So I think the bulls come back to this space even after a tough week, and I stay long the trade. I think it'll keep working throughout the second half of the year. John, energy is one of your biggest positions. Did you use a pullback last week to add to it? Um, what I did last week, Mel, was I was, since June 6th, we've had an unbelievable, I think Pete's mentioned it with you on your show, uh, buying of those XLE puts. They were, that was when the XLE was at 91. It's, it hit 73 last week. Um, and I think that told you everything you needed to know about what institutions were thinking, because these weren't small trades, Melissa. Some of them were 20, 30,000 puts that they were buying. So. Um, I have liquidated all of those puts. I'm out of all of those puts. I had ratcheted down those calls that I'd written against in the money calls. Now I've lifted those out of the money calls that I sold. So I'm doing exactly what Joe and Steph and Josh have just spoken of. I'm looking for a bounce back in this because uh, demand outstrips supply. I think they hit it hard for two weeks. Okay, I'll give them that. Now I think it goes back to work. And I think we're looking more like 130 in a month in crude right. oil. 
By the way, do not miss David Faber's exclusive look inside ExxonMobil with unprecedented access to executives, workers, and the facilities. David explores if the company is ready for the energy transition. ExxonMobil at the crossroads premieres tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Coming up, check out the mystery chart. It's one of the worst stocks in the Dow this year, but the street isn't giving up on it. And one of our investment committee members just bought it. We'll reveal the name and discuss that next on Halftime. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good afternoon, everyone, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. New video showing multiple police officers armed with rifles and at least one ballistic shield stood and waited in a school hallway for nearly an hour while a gunman carried out that massacre of 19 elementary students and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, last month. The Texas public safety chief calling the response a, quote, abject failure. According to the Texas police commander, officers could have stopped the gunman within three minutes, but failed to do so. An investigation currently ongoing as to what went on and what what went wrong and why. And the Supreme Court ruling that Maine cannot exclude religious schools from a tuition assistance program that lets parents use vouchers to send their children to public or private schools. The 6-3 to three ruling comes as the conservative court looks to expand religious liberty rights and bring more religion into public life. All three liberal justices dissented. And Britain faces its biggest rail strikes in three decades after last-minute talks between a union and train companies failed to agree on pay. Up to 40,000 staffers staged a walkout in a protest over pay and job security. Only about 4,500 of the usual 20,000 daily services are expected to run today in Britain. Station closed. Melissa, back to you. Thank you very much, Tyler. Time now for our call of the day. Barclays is reiterating its overweight rating on Nike. Um, Steph, you bought some. I did. I bought a very small position, and it is not in front of the quarter. I'm not, I have no idea what's going to happen with the quarter. In fact, if you look at Adidas and VF Corp, China was down 35%. So I would expect that they're going to have struggles in China when they report earnings. But I think a down 36% year-to-date, a lot of that is already in the stock. And I really do like the, the total addressable market of casualization. They do have a very good program to get more DTC-focused, uh, and that will help margins, as will their cost-cutting 
providing pro program, um, and they have pricing power. So they have goals to get uh, the uh, mid-teens EBIT by fiscal 25, um, and, uh, and that's actually a very positive thing. That will lead to operating leverage as demand comes back. And of course, if they have easy comps in the second half of the year. So if it's weak on earnings, I'll buy more. I left myself plenty of room. But this, to me, is a definition of quality on sale. Yeah, and Joe, that's what, that's what the analysts there do point out. I mean, it's a preview for earnings and a preview for the full-year guidance. And they say the China lockdowns could have a material impact, worse than, than is already in the estimates, and that that could also impact, in terms of the supply chain issues, the bounce that would be expected otherwise in North America. That bounce in North America could, in fact, be muted because of the supply chain issues. There are a lot of cautionary uh, aspects to this overweight rating as well. There, there certainly are, but, but two counterpoints to that. First of all, uh, Josh mentioned earlier, and I think you want to be uh, exercising the practice of looking at stocks that have bottomed as the S&P has continued to move lower uh, towards Friday's low for the year. Nike is an example of that type of stock. Nike bottomed on May 25th. It's stabilized. It has not along with the S&P, now made a new low. Um, in addition to that, I think when you're, you're looking at Nike, a lot of what's been priced in is already the negative news, Melissa. And looking forward, is, is China not going to reopen? China is going to reopen at some point. Are U.S. consumers going to completely retrench to Steph's point where they're not going to go out and spend on athleisure? They are. They're going to embrace that practice once again. So I like from the perspective of where it is uh, from valuation, and I also like what Steph said. Uh, I believe the word she used was she's taking a very small position, and I think that's the right approach to nibbling on the market right now. All right. Let's get a check on where the markets stand right now. Still firmly in the green. We're just about 11 points off the session highs for the S&P 500, now up 2.5%. NASDAQ holding on to almost a 3% gain right now, 2.9%. Uh, we are up right now. Much more on this rebound straight ahead on the Halftime Report. Get another take on the markets right now. Joining us is Courtney Garcia, Senior Wealth Advisor at Payne Capital Management. Courtney, great to see you. Thanks for having me. What do you make of the bounce today? Yeah, I think the big question investors have to ask themselves right now is, are we heading into recession? Is that why the markets have been selling off? And is that ending? Is that why the markets are up today? Now, I think ultimately... Um, the odds of recession have definitely increased, but realistically, I think it's possible that we can get through this period of high inflation without going into a recession the next couple of months. And as an investor, I think what you want to look at is if you're of the mindset we can get through this, um, then you can start to look at some of these as buying opportunities. I wouldn't say you want to go jump in with two feet here. I don't think we've seen the kind of volume or the kind of volatility that we call a bottom here, but there's definitely some opportunities to be had. Um, if you're of the mindset that we are in a pending recession, you might want to wait a little longer. But I really think there's some some value here to be had and, and we can very well get through this. You like small caps because you are not fully convinced that we are going to hit a recession. Correct. Yeah, that's one of those plays. Yeah, that I think if you're of the mindset that we can get through this, small caps are really well valued right now. And their earnings growth expectations are really attractive. They're actually expected to grow about 20 percent year over year when you look at 2023. So it's it's one of those plays that probably get harder if we are in going to recession. Again, I'm pretty optimistic here. I think you can start to scoop up some of these shares at really attractive valuations. And you also like energy. And, and this is your final trade on Friday on Fast Money, Exxon Mobil. What specifically about Exxon do you like? 
Yeah, the energy sector, I think, has gotten overly sold here um, just over the last week. But ultimately, the supply demand issues are not going away. And what I really like about Exxon is they have a really strong balance sheet here. They have a lot of cash on their books. Even if energy doesn't stay as high, the energy prices don't stay as high as they are, they're really in a good position to be able to weather through this. But in all likelihood, energy prices are going to continue to move higher, which will likely continue to benefit Exxon. So I think that's a really good opportunity as well. Are you making any moves in any portfolios today, Courtney? Um, anybody who has cash on the sidelines, we're starting to dollar cost our debt in. Again, I'm not jumping in with two feet, but I, I think this is one of those scenarios where you're not going to get good prices with good news. And so I think you want to start to take advantage of these opportunities, because if we do start to see over the next few few weeks, any inclination that inflation might be um, peaking, maybe it's coming down a bit as some of these supply chain issues come down, that can really boost the markets here. So just taking advantage while things are low, I think is something you want to really be looking at. Corey, good to see you. Thank you. Courtney Garcia, Payne Capital. Thanks for having me. Up next, another stock Stephanie Link is buying. Plus, all June, we are celebrating Pride Month. Here's CNBC's senior executive producer, Ray Parisi. No matter who you are or where you're from, personal and professional success is built on a foundation of confidence and self-worth. And for so many LGBTQ plus youth, that foundation has been cracked by shame, discrimination, and hate. That's why pride is so important. It's visibility, voice, and power. And those are things we should celebrate 365 days a year. Stephanie has been busy lately. Another move, um, Steph, you bought <laughs> Starbucks. Yeah, and this is exactly like Nike, quality upgrade. And this is, this is after, I started buying this after the return of uh, Howard Schultz. He's an icon. He's a legendary. And I think that uh, he's going to, well, I, I don't think there's a lot that he needs to fix. I think he needs to fix China, but China just needs to reopen and the expectations are so low. But, you know, the U.S. continues to hum along. Last quarter, they had a comp of 12 percent and margins actually rose. So um, I, I, I think there's not a ton to fix, but I do like the fact that they have $20 billion on the sidelines that they can actually invest in their businesses, um, in food, in people um, and places. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do. And then you have the new CEO that will join will be announced. Um, hopefully it'll be announced by uh, the fourth quarter. They have an analyst day in September. That should be a nice catalyst as well. So I think long term this company can grow earnings 8 to 10 percent uh, and uh, get back to the 17 percent operating margins. And it's down 38 percent. So it's another quality name that I think is on sale. Um, Josh, why did you swap Starbucks for Dutch Brothers? Um, I like both companies. Both can work. I think the return pro profiles will be very different here. We've seen Starbucks, when it's operating at its best, it's probably a $100, $110 stock. Um, with Dutch Brothers, I think I'm buying into something at a much earlier phase uh, with that hockey stick type potential in front of it, not behind it. Um, but there's no reason why both couldn't work. All right, let's get to Caesars. Uh, those shares are moving higher. J.P. Morgan reinstating the stock at an overweight, saying it sees strong free cash flow generation. Uh, John, you own some calls in Caesars and uh, LVS. I do, Mel. One's a play on Macau primarily, and Caesars is, of course, uh, primarily domestic. Um, and I think domestic, as you've seen from those pictures over the weekend uh, of just airports jammed, you should see the pictures out in Las Vegas, Mel. Uh, people are heading out there, and those aren't the only properties Caesars runs. So I think the call here is a good one. I think you want to stick with this because we're not locked down. People are going out. 
And I think that's a, a significant upside boost for CZR. And as far as LVS, when that one finally does uh, open up more, I think Macau goes right back to good work there. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. But uh, on the other side, John's latest trades and unusual activity, that's up next. Time for unusual activity. John, what are you seeing? Mel, uh, we're seeing unusual activity in three stocks, uh, two of which are related to energy, which is not a surprise. First one is JETS, J-E-T-S. This is, of course, the ETF for the airline space. Um, big upside call buying. Somebody bought almost 18,000, Mel, of the September 18 calls. That's with this uh, particular ETF just under 17. So uh, they're betting that uh, people do indeed continue to fly and uh, build even more momentum there. Demand is outstripping supply, so prices have just been moving up. They've just had a little bit of a correction that we've talked about in the price of fuel, Jet A in particular. So that's a good thing for them, and I think people want to get out and about. So Jets is the first one, Mel. Second one is high-yield bonds, HYG. This one, uh, 100,000 of the September 68 puts. So this is saying that that continues this path from the upper left to the lower right, uh, which is not good. Uh, but that means that somebody bet really big because it's at 74.50 and they're buying those 68 puts, Mel. But those are also out in September. Third and final is CVE, Synovus Energy. Oil and gas, that is what they do. Stocks up from 12, I think, Mel, at the beginning of the year, touched 20 something today, just over $20 a share. They're buying the 21 calls out in July. So these are about four weeks out into the future. And they bought 10,000 of those, which again is a million share equivalent of stock. I bought all three of these, Mel, uh, two calls and one put. Thanks for that, John. We do want to take a quick check on shares of Target. They're at session highs right now. 4.2% is the gain. There's a headline um, moments ago. The Target CEO is reiterating his outlook for a strong second half of 2022. Also says he is confident in moves to manage inventory. So we are watching that stock very closely. Again, up four and a quarter percent. Next up, final trade. Stay tuned. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Just a couple of details on those Target headlines. Brian Cornell is speaking at the Economic Club of New York today, so we'll continue to monitor that for more stock reaction. Um, let's get to the final trade. Stephanie Link, what do you say? Uh, I like the rails, Union Pacific in particular, but the rails have pricing power, margin improvement, double-digit earnings, and I think the back half of the year as supply chains get fixed, services can improve and volumes will also recover. Stocks is trading at 16 times forward. Josh Brown. IEO, cheap stocks, healthy dividends, still think the earnings grow into the end of this year. I would stay with this trade. No candy crush today, huh, Josh? I appreciate that, by the way. I'll let you no, know that. No, I'm super, I'm super <laughs> dialed in. Okay, super yeah, I could tell. I could really tell. Uh, Dr. J. <laughs> uh, snap, Mel, S-N-A-P. Big upside call buying out in January. I bought calls out there as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jyoti. <laughs> uh, nice risk to reward setup in Archer Daniels Midland. Pricing a little bit above the 200-day moving average at 75 bucks. That's your point of reference, down significantly from the $98 high in late April. All right. It was a pleasure. That does it for us here in the Halftime Report. I'll see you tonight on Fast Money at 5 o'clock. Meantime, don't go anywhere. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.